Nice busting a move there, Dr. Joey. Amazing. I love it. Well, happy Culture Cast, everybody. Happy Culture Cast Tuesday. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Joey. I am delighted to be with you. It's a terrific Tuesday when I get to hang out with you. Oh, my goodness. And I love, too, dude, that you were just bouncing to the fine tune by my friend Julius Wilder, who composed it. Right. And I think I said, dude, we need something for the show. And he's like, let's capture the vibe. And absolutely, it's the vibe, especially for you today. I, I think you like that little tease that I did around what do car batteries have to do with culture? I'm um, all charged up. I know, right. <laughs> and I love this. I love how I think Nicole's already jumped on. Hey, Nicole. And she's like, I'm feeling positive about getting this convo getting started. Pretty absolutely. amazing. Um, so welcome, Dr. Joey. I think everyone has done some research on you. Before we all jumped on live, we were talking about how we've connected with peeps, our connections on LinkedIn, yep. and how people are super fired up about all the books that you've written. You've written two books, the newest one, Work Positive in a Negative World, and then you have a similar title, which is Faith Positive in a Negative World. And yeah. so... Um, uh, I and I've got a new one coming out too, Marisa. Um, in fact, let's see, three weeks. No way. That? It's almost hot and now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Small hinges swing big doors. It's the shortest book I've written. It's less than a hundred pages. That's for all the people who say, I can't read books. Uh, yeah, you can read this one in an hour. <laughs> I it's written in small segments too, little chunks. So you can just put it on the water tank on your toilet and pick it up and read oh my goodness yeah <laughs> right a few minutes of time got it gathering books mm-hmm. well i i love it let's get into those themes as well but like sure. let's talk about your journey dr joey before we get into culture mm. um I, I know our peeps out there would love to hear your journey to how you ended up being a coach an author a radio host like, what was your path, Dr. Joe, and what got you on this pathway? Yeah, that, that was a question that I was like, okay, how do I tell it quickly? Because <laughs> I've been around a little while. Tell it. Right, bald and silver hair. Um, so taking it back, I remember a, a time of significant adversity and my high performance pattern, which is one of the things we do in our coaching company is helping people discover their high performance patterns. So my, my high performance pattern really is this experience adversity, find the opportunity in the adversity and capitalize on it. So that's, that's kind of my, my three step. Um, I know it's supposed to be a two step, but (laughs) those are my three steps. So that early adversity was at nine years old. I wanted to be, I come from an entrepreneurial family and I wanted to do my thing, right. Even as a nine year old. So I went out to do what most nine-year-olds do, and that is borrow dad's lawnmower and go mow a yard and get somebody to pay you for it, right? Didn't work out so well. Uh, Got a viral infection in my lungs due to what I discovered was a high amount of allergy to mown grass. Oh, my goodness. uh, Yeah, I wound up in Duke University Hospital for about a week. Um, My mom was there with me every single moment. She's still with me every single moment. Um, 
But during that, uh, they, they basically said to her, uh, we're not sure he's going to make it through the night. And um, I can't imagine hearing that as a parent. I'm, I'm sure some of the folks with us today have heard that. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I've uh, been very blessed to never have to hear. But I remember my mom reaching under the mist tent and because um, they were putting this medicine in there that turns out I was allergic to the medicine too. But I Oh my goodness. Her, yeah. Yeah. It was just like a bundle of allergies. So, uh, but I remember mom reaching up under the mist tent and taking my little hand because I'm nine years old, third grade, right? I'm supposed to be learning cursive and multiplication tables and I'm in the hospital. And, and she grabs my hand and she looks me in the eye and she says, Joey, I am positive you're going to make it through the night. And, and in that moment, it was just like one of those moments that just cements in your consciousness yeah. forever. I mean, grows roots quickly, gains height quickly. And I just, I believed her. And so I said, okay. And I did. And, um, and it was an amazing thing. So I didn't go back and try to mow lawns. <laughs> right. Fortunately, I had the foresight to do that. But instead in the mailbox came something from the sales leadership club, which was selling inscribed Christmas cards. And so I said, well, this is something I can do. So I, in August, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina. Um, I sold inscribed Christmas cards, which were a novelty then, you know, Marisa announced novelty to get someone's handwriting in a, well, it's a novelty to get a paper card in the mail anyway, but not to have someone's signature in it, right. is a big deal. But then inscribed Christmas cards were a big deal. So here it is hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity. And I'm going door to door, hawking frosty snowman cards and, uh, sold a them. <laughs> got a three-speed bike, which was the latest, greatest at that time. Got a cassette recorder, which was the latest, greatest at that time. And then I got a telescope, which, you know, meant I could wow. hear heavens. And um, man, that was just way cool. So that really began this entrepreneurial launch for me. Um, I mentioned being from an entrepreneurial family. My grandfather was uh, a dairy farmer, also a tobacco farmer. And then since he and my grandmother didn't have anything else to do, they ran a country store. Um, so he, but I watched as he, uh, worked with his farm hands, the way that he treated them and Marisa, they were of a different ethnic group, always, always, always the most respect, Mm -hmm. the most respect. I mean, this was before diversity and inclusion were even buzzwords, right? But my grandfather was practicing that he respected them. He cared for them as people. So for me, I learned early on about culture that, respect and empathy are what you must have in a culture in order to help people become their best selves and achieve more than they realize they can achieve. Also watch the way he interacted with his customers that came in the store. He knew them by name. He knew their backgrounds. He knew their family stories. He knew what was going on in their lives, like, um, you know, an illness or someone had passed away or something like that. And he extended way beyond transaction to transformation. Wow. And respect, Marisa, plus that empathy, that builds a transformational culture. So I, I just kind of, I, I, gee, just really blessed to grow up in that context and to discover that. So later, uh, when I was about 17, uh, this was in the mid-70s, um, there was a lot of economic distress in the country then. Um, you think it's bad now. We were in gas lines for hours just to buy two gallons of gas, right? Oh, for like, and then you either had even or odd days, right? Yeah. Now when you <laughs> can buy right. gas, 
I, think, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think it, I've, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I remember all that. And then so dad's company, the company he worked for, he was a data processing manager, which we had before we had IT directors, right? Yeah. And uh, that company went bankrupt. I mean, like we didn't have 7 and 11. They just shut the doors. Um, so <laughs> I found myself as a 17-year-old like, okay, you think you're going to college, but what are you going to do about it? Because now there's not a viable income coming in the house. So I... Uh, I don't know, I meditated over it a lot and just felt compelled to go see Mr. Harper, who started an FM radio station, which was a novelty back then, right? FM radio was just yeah. coming up in the 70s. So he started this 100,000 watt station in the midst of a recession. And uh, so I said, well, I, people enjoy the way I talk. So I can talk, I can sit down, it's in air conditioning. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I went down there two hours later after going down, I had a job six months later, I had the number one afternoon drive show in that market. Oh my um, goodness. So just, he taught me culture too. And again, Marisa, it was respect and empathy lead to transformation. So I discovered very quickly. Now I could walk you through some radio broadcasting careers and things like that, uh, where I learned the negative side of that, what I call Kevin culture. Ooh, just Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was working with a, a client and she kept talking about her boss. You know, Sherm oh, says 57% yeah, yeah, yeah. of all of us leave a job because of a bad boss. Well, hers was horrible. I guess everybody's boss is the worst boss ever, right? When you right. get on that train. So anyway, she's going on and on and on. And finally, I just said, well, instead of calling him the boss, you know, what could I call him? And she said, Kevin. <laughs> it was his name, Kevin. Yeah, or was that's really his name. Like a, it's like okay. there's venom dripping from her uh, tongue as she said, Kevin. You know, so I just began naming it Kevin Culture uh, as opposed to Karen, right? But yeah. Kevin Culture. So it's just that negative culture that demotivates people, that is simply transactional. I put in a paycheck, I expect to get tasks performed. Right. As, which is the opposite of transformational. So I, I just became convinced that that's what I wanted to avoid was the Kevin culture, even though for a brief time in my career, I became a Kevin because you do what you know, right? Right. And then I, I had the foresight and insight to take action on what I remembered from my grandfather and my father and Mr. Harper and others. So I just decided, hey, man, we need to help other people achieve this kind of awareness around respect and empathy, and then align that awareness with their actions, which is a basic coaching process. And so then I was off to the races. Then I discovered, hey, we need a context in which to support yeah. respect and empathy in this transformation. And so that's when I became a culture architect. Love it. And I love that you're calling it a culture architect. I mean, first of all, We've gone through the first couple of decades, all, you know, two and a half decades in your life. And I'm my, I have goosebumps still with your mom reaching for your little hand underneath mm. that tent when you're at the hospital. Yeah. And she says to you, I am positive that you're going to make it through the night. Mm. I mean, to me, talk about being nine and that being a really formative time, especially when you were so sick because you were allergic, et cetera. And then that just puts you on this different path of, you know, doing your hustle as a kid. Yep. But like, I, I still have goosebumps with that. And I think about, um, 
I think this is why I'm, I feel so simpatico every time you and I have this conversation just mm -hmm. about observing life and then the observations mm -hmm. and the experiences you've had mm -hmm. with your grandfather, mm -hmm. right? And the way that he cared for people and people of different cultures. Yes. And early, early on, you had a role model and I hear you too. I mean, we shouldn't have to put a label of inclusion and belonging and diversity. I mean, I just, human nature that he taught you was yeah. you just treat people with respect and yeah. understand the shoes they're walking in and the yeah. life that they're leading. And I, I love that because you've said this many times now, respect plus empathy equals transformation. Absolutely. And it's a transformational culture versus transactional. So mm. Mm. that's fascinating to me. Like mm. I, I see that. Um, I, I, I see that. And I think that's the opposite way. I think about, you know, I've, I've told stories to you and I know some on who are listening in now, I've heard the stories about me going to the grocery store with my dad mm. and I was nine, you know, and I yeah. would go to the grocery store and right. back then, you know, you'd write out a check to pay for the groceries <laughs> and my dad would, you know, be at the check stand and we'd be paying for the groceries. And this is when we moved outside of Los Angeles. Or, and uh, actually, we were visiting my aunt. She lived outside in the suburb, which we ended up moving to. And so the checker yeah. looks at my dad, and he starts speaking very slowly and yelling at him. Oh. And essentially just says, that will be $20, whatever, right? Like, whatever yeah. it was. So he yeah. could write out the check. And I'm watching all of this at nine years old. And I remember mm. saying to the checker, hey, you don't need to yell at my dad. He understands English. You know, like, I don't yeah, get really. this, right? Hey, so I... Deaf either. <laughs> right? I know. I've got <laughs> mad respect for what you've learned from your grandfather and how he treated yeah. people, you know, and interacted with them in their store. Mm. And then, um, you know, you just kind of busting out this radio show. And at the end of the day, it's like, it is about culture and how people treat each mm -hmm. other to feel better. Absolutely. So, um, and then this Kevin culture, I don't know if you can live that down. I mean, <laughs> Kevin culture, I don't know if there's any Kevins on right now, but oh man. Yeah, We're not talking about you, dude. Okay. Yeah, not, not the Kevin that's on right now. <laughs> so it's not you specifically. So, something else, I, if I could just allude to something yeah. else quickly, Marisa, um, something else my grandfather taught me was what my friend, Dr. Bob Johansson refers to as bioempathy. Mm. And that is that respect um, extended beyond human beings. And let me just say that we saw everyone. And, and this was nouveau for Eastern North Carolina where I grew up. Okay. I'm just going to say that that yeah. was not the cultural norm. But the respect was for all human beings, but it extended beyond human beings. It, it extended into nature so that being a farmer, um, he understood the cycles of nature and how to treat the soil so that the soil would treat us well and grow the crops that he was intending. Yeah. Tobacco wasn't the best crop to grow, right? But it was a cash crop at the time. But he grew corn and soybeans and, and things like this. And, and so I began to understand this rhythm and cycle that we have with the world around us. You know, baseline is all human beings. Mm -hmm. But then how do you care for the dairy cows? This is going to sound too woo-woo for some people, but how do you care for those dairy cows in such a way that they're 
living their best life. I mean, yeah. not only sure you want them to produce great milk, but you, you care for those cows in such a way that they care for you. So there's this synergistic relationship yeah. with all of nature, as opposed to this domination in which you seek to suck everything out. You can now granddaddy would be what, he's 14. So he'd be 109 or so today. Um, way ahead of his time. And I was right. just that, that sanctity of all of life and just understanding what we call today sustainability through relationships um, just really formed and shaped me. So for almost 25 years now, my wife and I have lived on this little 22 acre plot of earth here in, uh, in Virginia. Um, both our girls grew up here and, and uh, one daughter is in her mid thirties and living away from home now. Um, she uh, enjoy spending time volunteering at a, at a rescue ranch for horses because she had her own horse here and learned how to care for the horse and things like that. So anyway, I, I love that notion of bioempathy and that's just a part of me. My feet have to get in the dirt uh, and, and get out of the concrete and asphalt stealing glass world as much as possible. <laughs> so yeah. I, part, I think you are way your grandpa was way ahead of his time. And I think you yeah. were too, not yeah. only as it relates to just what it means to be inclusive and you talk about respect and empathy. Mm. I love that you shared bioempathy because um, mm. you said this word of already, but you know, sustainability, especially in the last couple of years, you know, ESG is a big deal, especially right. for large companies, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're public, because a lot of the shareholders are demanding that there's mm -hmm. some, that not only are they making good money, you know, as a public company, but they're also taking care of the environment and in uh, the world, right? And mm -hmm. it, what I thought about was I had the chance to go to Davos this year, so early, back in January, mm -hmm. and I had the chance to go um, speak about, you know, and I, I called it people sustainability. Mm. And, and it is right. not only about how you treat people, but it is about the environment that you're creating for people. And yeah. when I think about sustainability, it's one step further, it's regenerative. So if yeah. you think about regenerative farming and mm -hmm. you take like, um, I, I used to work at a coffee company, I'll just say right. that. And yeah. we learned I've a lot, I became a coffee yeah. master. Yeah, and you learned a lot about- But I think about like the soil and how mm -hmm. you grow the beans, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you take this whole notion of regeneration and then how does that apply to, you know, I'll, I'll just broadly say growing people in an organization yes, and yes. not only this generation that exists in an organization, I've also had the fortunate opportunity to work in large hourly populations where mm -hmm. generations of families actually come and work for these brands. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I feel like, gosh, you're, you're, grandfather and your observations were so ahead of their time because only now especially mm. after the last three years that we've all had as a world <laughs> and yeah. I think um, especially as it relates to creating culture with I, I'd say work environments right and the environment mm -hmm. could be anything the office sure. could be at home etc right. and this whole notion of sustainability and mm -hmm. keeping intact for people this overall, you know, not only um, mental, but emotional well-being, like because oh, of yeah. everything that we've experienced, mm -hmm. you know, as 
uh, people and, you know, and, and the shared experience of a uh, pandemic a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, way ahead of your time, dude. <laughs> well, again, nothing I particularly did. Uh, it was just the good fortune of being born his grandson. Um, oh, wow. and, and I have a unique opportunity now because up two stories in, um, I'm, I'm in my home office, uh, home studio up two stories is a three and a half year old granddaughter of mine who's oh. sleeping, taking her little nap. And so I had the pleasure before we got on to sitting down and reading a book with her. Right. So, Hey, Marisa, here it is. I'm, I'm extending to that next generation. Yeah. And that same respect and empathy. And I'm a lot better pops than I was a dad. I can assure you that. And I was a great dad. Don't get me wrong. But I'm an even better pops because I'm using that coach approach. You know, how yeah. do we help her as she inquires of the world? How do I help her continue to raise her awareness? And for me, the, the fulcrum that on which all this pivots is this amazing opportunity we have daily to transform ourselves from me to we. And when I can okay. go from me to we, then there's no competition. There's only abundance. And I'm as committed to your success as I am my own, probably more so because I really do believe that when I succeed, I succeed because I helped you succeed, right? That's and right. that multiplies the joy factor in what we do. So uh, just being able to pass on that transformation from me to we to her, um, that's way beyond. I want to make sure that, you know, we have a good economy while I'm still alive yeah. or you know, any of those egotistical self-serving kinds of notions. No, I totally eschew those and look way beyond that into yeah. children's children's children you know, and how we can create a respect plus empathy equals transformation from me to we world. I love this me to we, and I love that you have a fulcrum to, to, to base it on. And mm. so it's, it sounds pretty basic of a question then, which uh -huh. is how would you define culture? Hmm. Well, I'm obviously from the South, so we have lots of colloquialisms. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> some, of which, some of which I can mention on this show and some of which I shan't, <laughs> but um, it's how we roll around here. Oh, love it. <laughs> That's culture. It's how we roll around here. Um, you, you don't have to experience it long. You know, it's, it's like taking someone's temperature <laughs> and two, yeah. you know, you don't have to put it in your mouth anymore. They just place it on your forehead. Um, two seconds later, you got the temperature. I mean, how do you roll around here? What's it like to work here? I mean, th those kinds of things. And, and typically I can, and I'm not saying I, I judge, I'm just saying I'm inspecting fruit, right? But typically yeah. just listening to the way people talk about their work and talk about their work culture tells you, and you know, because you've oh. been in it a bazillion times, it tells you how, how you roll around here. So rather than some stilted question that they may not be able to relate to, and right. well, I'm a doctor, I have a doctorate degree, I can use all the academic language you want. But how do we roll around here and kind of give people a handle to grab hold of and say, here it is. Yeah, here it is. And, I, you know, I'd love to add on to your culture definition. It's uh, and, and actually focus on the word we. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's not me. It's we. Right. And I think what I'm learning in interacting with leaders now, not working specifically inside a company and just advising many other companies 
and especially not the leaders, I'll say in the individual contributors, yes. the employees don't feel like they have a say in how we roll. Mm. Right. And so they, they observe and they kind of jump in, you know, and figure out how to get in there and, and roll with the rest. But I would love to add on, like it, it is that focus on we, and then in focusing on we are the leaders inviting, yes. you know, everybody to actually add in to how we roll, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's so short-sighted when you don't do that. Yeah. Uh, because you're you're just relegating it to what you can do. So I'm I'm retreating back into me, or I'm retreating back into me and the people like me. And and look, I understand leadership is visionary. We we can't all be bee haggers, right? We need yeah. some bee haggers out there who are who are pushing us, pulling us, cajoling us to move forward, to look beyond the horizons that everyone else sees. However, there's so much more. And I mean, you, you know this because you've seen it over and over. You, you've in fact led this way, at least based on the responses that I've gotten to LinkedIn when people found out I was going to be on this today and how much they love you. There's so much more we can do together. When I move out of that insecure, egotistical space of me, Yeah embrace the we and really make that transformation um it it's i think it's path profitability it sounds squishy uh it sounds woo woo but uh, as my friend larry levine uh author of from uh, the book selling from the heart says soft skills drive hard dollars that's right i totally agree with you and actually um it's not woo woo i think at the end of the day if you don't take care of your people they can't take care of what you're asking them to do in terms of like what the company's objectives are. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about have had a, having a career in human resources and I always ask the get asked the question, how did you end up in human resources and why did you choose that path? And, and like many, it wasn't a choice initially, uh -huh. but then I think at the end of the day, it was probably a calling if mm -hmm. you related all the way back to what was happening in my life when I was nine, you sure. know, and growing up. Right. But, um, I think about what I learned in a Fortune 25 company hmm. early on in my career, it, although it, it was fascinating, there was a lot of opportunity to be more inclusive and, hmm. you know, everything that we talked about at the beginning in terms of respect and empathy, that did not exist. Um, hmm. However, what did exist was I learned that at the end of the day, to be a people leader or human resources leader to enable people leaders or partner people leaders, you have to understand, A, what is the strategy of the company? How do you define it? How do you break that down into, like, say, an annual plan and all the way down to the individual? Mm -hmm. But then I've always been curious, too, about uh, making sure you have the right leadership capability, right? And that leaders and companies are organized in the right way and that employees are motivated to go out to understand and accomplish these objectives and goals. Like, High level, that's the secret, I think, to yep. HR. Uh, and then like responding to your note on culture and you talking about Larry Levine and leading from the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, I also say that culture is a reflection of leadership. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. And it, and it's, a, it's a thermostat. Leadership sets the temperature for culture and whatever that might be where you are. That's right. So I, I want to jump into the car battery. 
Okay. And, uh, and I crack up because it's such a cool title and it's just so relevant. I know you've got a new book coming out in a few weeks, yep. but then working positive in a negative world. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a lot of um, just, I'll just say negativity, you know, in, in the mass media mm. and then, you know, mm. in the world. And then you think about, the emotions that now everyone has experienced in their own way coming back to the workplace. And again, I'm sure you've been in these conversations too with other companies. Like, well, do you bring people back to the office and do they come in for a day or two or four yeah. days, whatever. Yeah, and there's this agita right around like, how, how do we work differently? And I love that you say work positively. So mm-hmm. say more about, why the title work positive in a negative world? I mean, what have you seen? And, well, you know, from a, a negative standpoint, and then let's talk about how you can charge it up with positivity. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And living on a farm, we have car batteries, we have tractor batteries, we have <laughs> right? four-wheeler batteries, we have lawnmower batteries. We, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm working on transitioning as many of these over as I can to solar-fed batteries, by the way. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So uh, so I love the imagery when I saw that on LinkedIn of, of, of a car battery. Um, first of all, and, and I've had the privilege of speaking virtually or in person all over the world. I've yet to have anyone question me about it's a negative world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we're, we're in pretty much lockstep agreement as human beings that negativity exists. However, so many people, when they hear the word positive, they think, okay, I, I've just got to deny the negativity. Mm-hmm. I've got to somehow mm-hmm. say that it's not a negative world. And, that's the exact opposite of what my high performance pattern is and what I think um, exists in the world. It, the world's broken. It, it just doesn't function at optimal level. We have the amazing opportunity to create um, that, that transformation we were talking about from me to we, which brings the regeneration, right? Mm-hmm. And, and begins that regeneration process. However, saying or pretending that there's no negativity in the world is uh, that's a zero sum game. There is no ROI on that because you're going to constantly be forced to confront. You're going to bump your head up against that negativity on a a daily. Oh, I'll say sometimes hourly because some days you just wake up and boom, there it is. The battlefield in your mind is, is it a, you know, DEFCON one and you just got up. Right. So, Filtering the negative world is the key. As I like to say, it all starts and stops in your head, Marisa. Yeah. And so uh, focusing on the positive and filtering out the negative is a key. Now, I discovered um, for myself, now, I mean, they were already out there, but I discovered for myself that what I refer to as the five core practices, bundles of habits, right? The five core mm-hmm. practices of a work positive culture during the Great Recession. And this, mm. I'm going to tag yeah. back into my grandfather here. Again, remember adversity, you know, there's the opportunity for transformation. So uh, my wife looked at me one day and said, honey, aren't you supposed to be traveling? Yeah. <laughs> With the great recession on, you know, I, she really does still love me. 41 years in a week. We, we oh, wow. Happy so, anniversary. Um, but, but she, you know, was concerned because my cadence, my work had changed. And so I said, yeah, I am supposed to be traveling, 
um, but I'm not. And it's due to this recession. Well, yeah. I, I just, I mean, geez, there's always something going on economically if you're looking for that kind of thing. Right. But I remembered my grandfather born in 1914 as a young lad experienced the great depression back when depression was yeah. an economic instead of a medical term. Right. Right. And that was when you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. I mean, that was, you, you talk to people around the globe and that was horrific. That generation is dying away, but that nonetheless, that long tail still exists. So I'm like, okay, we're in the midst of the great recession. Surely somebody, somebody, somebody created a company during the great depression that's thriving today. And I want to know how they did it. So since I wasn't traveling, <laughs> I had all this time on my hands, I could research. And so uh, uh, the, the internet was not quite as high speed as it is today. So it took a little longer, Marisa, but I, I researched all of these amazing, I call them great depression gurus. Sure. These amazing people who overcame adversity, who weren't paralyzed by the fear of what was going on at the time, but who were very heroic, very courageous. How did they do that? What was their mindset? What were their relationships? What was their emotional engagement with their work? What did they actually do? And then what were the ethics around the results that they achieved? Hmm. Because yeah. they knew that there had to be some, some sort of ethical consideration given to what they were doing. And so I found all of these amazing people and boy, you can, I'm, I'm happy to talk about them because they really were amazing people. And these companies continue to thrive today. So I just amazing. began dissecting their habits, their patterns. What was it they did? And so I began plowing some of that into my own work and, you know, working on my mindset, doing that internal work, working on my relationships um, work on myself in regard to those relationships, you know, my yep. emotional engagement, the actions I was taking, the ethical, uh, outcomes that I was pursuing for all of us, we, instead of me. And as I did, I began to notice lift, even in the midst of a great recession to my work. And I also noticed that other people were interested in it. So podcasting wasn't as ubiquitous yeah. then as it is now. Um, but I began doing terrestrial radio shows, TV shows, things like that, writing articles, um, so much so that Entrepreneur Magazine said, hey, we want to do a book. So it didn't come out until 2011 because you're in the midst of these birthing yeah. pangs now. Right. <laughs> it takes forever right. to write totally. a book and get it out there. But uh, in 2011, that, the first work, Positive in a Negative World, book came out. And what I discovered in the intervening years uh, particularly around the start of the pandemic was, <clears throat> as you were talking about earlier, the leaders, the C-suite, sometimes are disconnected from what's yeah. going on. Fall on. Mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like they create an echo chamber for themselves, but they are, they're complicit in that conspiracy to stay in the echo chamber. And, and so I said, man, we really need to talk about this from a team perspective. So Work Positive and Negative World Team Edition came out in 2020. And that one really accelerates from the mid-level manager to uh, those front-facing teams, as I like yeah. to call them, the ones who are doing that heavy lifting. And that's when I transform, I don't like to say from top to bottom, but you know what I mean, all across yeah. the company. Um, and in teams and C-suite, we really can transform around those five core practices. Amazing. Um I love how you talk about, first of all, acknowledging that there is negativity and that everyone that you've, you've interviewed and that you've met yeah. have said there's no debating that there's negativity in the world. But I think it's all about, you know, you talk about these five core practices mm -hmm. and it starts with 
you know, what I'm hearing you talk about is the internal work, right? So getting your mindset right, getting mm-hmm. your relationships right, you know, your emotional engagement with others, right? right? And then, and you talk about ethics too, and the, and what you're accomplishing together, are there sure. ethics behind it? I love that um, it's all in how you choose to respond, yes. you know? And I think that's kind of what you're sharing. Like there's mm-hmm. this negativity that's happening in the world. And I think at the end of the day, the work starts with you as a human being and as a leader. 100%. And um, so I, I'm just re- reflecting back with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I also would love your opinion. And I know that you and I were had some pre-show chat Um you know, especially coming out of the pandemic mm. and, and with this new generation that's also in the workforce, there is a new level of, I'll just use the word worry, right? Yeah. Like worry and emotion that mm. I think contributes from, from acknowledging what's happening in the world and then trying to make sense of, of what they've lived through, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And like, as mm. a leader whether you're coming from the middle or from the top mm-hmm. how do you acknowledge and and work with that because i think that's the new level of um acknowledgement that i think leaders need to have around the emotion that people actually all already bring with them you know into the work yes mm. yeah and and i am i'm so glad to speak to that because yeah when when i was young and early in my career there was this artificial division of the self, which I never was quite comfortable with because I knew it was a lie, but it's like, who's going to be bold enough to say the emperor is not wearing any clothes, right? Sure. right. <laughs> but there was this personal professional and it's like, what I do in my private life is not going to affect what I do in my work life. What I do in my work life is not going to affect my mm-hmm. private life. And I knew here in in my gut that 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 just had to be alive because i knew one joey was showing up in both places and so to create that consistency as opposed to schizophrenia was so important coming out of the pandemic i think we've seen accelerant ignite this recognition that Mm -hmm. are people and that what a my work positive day must begin at home right yeah whether i'm walking from the bedroom or bathroom to my my home office downstairs or whether i'm getting on a train or whether i'm stuck in a commute um i'm one person and so just celebrating that and coming out of the pandemic we're having better conversations now the adversity that we went through may go through again right yeah with the pandemic you know at what cost does that come i'm I'm not saying that i i would do it all over again for anything in the world but again marisa every adversity as dr peel said every adversity contains within it the seeds of opportunity so what's the opportunity well the adversity part was really exacerbated and we're talking about mental health yeah absolutely yep 30% 30% increase in prescriptions for anti-anxiety and antidepressants, 30% increase. And we were already, you know, well on our way to being a medicated world. Um, but a 30% increase in that. So, you know, I can stand here and wring my hands. You know, this is terrible. Um, some of the people in my generation or the persons close to my age 
like to moan about the young sure. people and the young generation. Um, I never heard my grandfather do that. I saw him investing in young people constantly. So to your point, we have a, an amazing opportunity to have mental health conversations like we've never had before and to simply acknowledge it. And once we say it out loud, then we can deal with it. So giving people the freedom to talk about these things, their fears, their anxieties, whatever it is. Yeah. Here's the baseline though, that leaders today have got to put into play with true digital natives and uh, okay. some, some millennials and some Z's and these true digital natives that are, they're entering the workforce now. Mentor with hope. Mentor with hope. Hope is the missing ingredient. Yeah. And the pandemic certainly finished sucking it out of us, right? Right. <laughs> but even prior to that, um, they saw my generation, you know, with the highest divorce rate, the, the highest rate of bankruptcies, the yeah. highest rate of addictions. Um, you know, we just didn't do such a good job. So the next generation slower to marry, slower to have children sure. you know, in terms of chronology, rightfully so. And that trickled has trickled right on down to where there's been a loss of hope and we can deconstruct mm. and we can lob, um, lob explosives over artificial walls at each other if we'd like, but that does nothing to restore the human spirit and to tap into the amazing creativity and innovation that all of us have within us, whether it's our mind, our relationships, our emotions, our actions, or our ethical need to be a good steward of, of who we are and what we're doing with sure. the world in the world. Right. So mentoring with hope, hope is that baseline that we've lived through stuff before. Okay. I'm going back to the great depression, right? Sure. We didn't know where meals were coming from, but we figured it out. So how do you capture a mindset that is rooted in hope that I can transform from me to we. And when I begin that transformation, it really does create hope in all of our lives and in our work. And therefore, I like to think of it as the great redefinition of work. Love you know, it. We've had the great resignation. We've had the great regret. Now, you know, we think we can quietly quit. Oh, what? Now we have to loudly quit, right? Yeah. All of this adversity is providing an amazing opportunity for the great redefinition of work in which we cover each other why we're here. Because we're unique. Almost 8 billion That's of us right. now. We're unique. Right. And what is it that we can do to align our purpose with the company purpose? See a path for belonging and becoming right there yep. so that we can move forward in hope that we're going to create a better tomorrow. Oh my goodness. I mean, you've said so much there too. I, I love what you just said though around what can we do to align our purpose, our personal purpose to what the company's purpose is and then mm -hmm. create a place of belonging and becoming. And I think there's something to be said around, um, especially the last couple of years, where people have taken stock and inventory on, all right, well, what is my purpose? What is my life's calling, right? And I think that's more um, forward today in terms of yes. hearing Thank generations goodness. bring that into the workplace. Mm -hmm. I also love that um, you're right. I think it is mental health that we're talking about. A mental health conversation and actually it's okay to have those conversations mm -hmm. um and 
God, a couple of things that you said. I love this. And I know Stephen Jackson had reacted to it. Like hope is the missing ingredient. I love yeah. for leaders, for the baseline for leaders, especially with two, two digital natives, mm-hmm. you know, mentor with hope. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I love that. And I also think about this generation, especially coming in where their first interaction, their first true job was, you know, work career mm-hmm. has been a Zoom environment. Right. Yeah. And so I, you said this already in, in kind of reacting to my question, you know, and mm-hmm. I say it in a, a similar way. Like, I think the good news is, too, the world realized, wait a minute, we've got human beings who work at the center of these yeah. companies and what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's humanity, which is the lesson learned for leaders that it's OK to express that and actually bring that into the culture, into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then I think the last thing that I've got a reaction to as well, you know, I was, um, I visited a friend last week in New York and, you know, she's an artist and hmm. we were just talking about all of her art. I happened to be sitting, I don't know if Vivian, if you're watching, but I'm sitting with Vivian and she was actually <laughs> painting me. It was pretty Hi, amazing. <laughs> yeah, and she um, was just saying, you know, continue having these conversations and she was fired up about seeing you coming up as a guest and she said, uh. You know, one thing that she hopes, and it, it is mentoring with hope for mm-hmm. this next generation is this um, emotional maturity and interaction and the maturity that will come with it, because mm-hmm. now you're actually it, socializing with people in real life, you know, not yeah. just like virtual, uh, mm-hmm. virtual, and then all the, the, the fake stuff that might come with it, because there's a whole other business around you know, how you might be using yourself as an influencer on other social platforms. I'll just say that mm-hmm. and how real that is not. And so <laughs> I think, um, I how it. do you like bring realness into authenticity, transparency, vulnerability? Exactly. Yes. All those things. Just keeping it real, baby. That's what yeah, I just say. keeping it real and kicking it real, you know, mm-hmm. like with, with people, but now it's kind of a thing, which is it wild. Is. It is. You've made me think of something uh, again, back to this three and a half year old granddaughter, because she's become a bit of an orbit for me. Um, So she uh, looks, you know, she goes through all three year olds, go through that why, why, why stage. And and it doesn't matter how creative your answers are or goofy or inadequate your answers are. They're going to keep asking why. Right. So, uh, we did lunch together and she was going to go have library time and, and then go down for a nap with Gigi. And so uh, she says, pops, you go to work. And I said, mm-hmm. and she said, why? Marisa, that question stopped me right there. Oh, in my okay. I'm like, I mean, just think about that. Why yeah. didn't you go to work? And, and here's this impressionable three-year-old what you're about to say is really important. And all right. these answers run through your head. Well, so Gigi can buy you anything you want, honey. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. But, but no, cause I'm, I'm realizing I'm forming for her just as my grandfather did for me. I'm forming for her, her understanding of work. And so we don't want negative connotation around work. We want hope to Vivian's yes. point. Right. And we want to build that emotional maturity, even right. as young as a three-year-old. So I said, work is fun and i like to have fun and and she says i like fun i said yes you do and i work 
I said, yes, you do. And you know what your work is? Your work is play. Oh. And she says, and then we start talking about all the things that she enjoys doing. She showed me a piece of artwork she and Gigi did that morning. Um, she starts talking about her blocks and things like that. So I'm thinking, you know, that's, of course, I've studied Jean Piaget. We can talk about the developmental tasks she was going through there, right? Wow, the, yeah. But I mean, how can the how can we capture that joy de vivre from her, yeah. right? In which our work becomes play, becomes fun, as opposed to I O I O. So off to work I go. I refer to it as the working dead. Oh, that, yeah. That's that's the crowd that needs help, right? And and it's just like, oh, Joe, you know, you that's too big a mountain to climb. You can't make a difference in that. Yeah, from me to we, right? How are you going to do that? One person at a time. That's right. And it starts with the work. I mean, you've talked about this already. Like, it starts with your work, right? Like, getting your, your mindset right, working on mm -hmm. yourself. It starts mm -hmm. with that, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah. I, I totally hear you on that. And it's, it's not up to anybody else, but to you, it starts with you at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. And, and you said something earlier, uh, about response, choosing a response as opposed to reacting and returning what you received. Yes. It's pivotal. You have the opportunity to choose a response. That's right. And you can take your time choosing it. One of the best days of my life, Marisa, I mentioned almost been married 41 years, right? One of the best days of my life was when I discovered I didn't have to say everything I was thinking. Yeah, right. It really worked out better for me. Actually, <laughs> right? Apologies. Yeah, I, um, I, I learned that very early on, but in a negative way. I, I, I've written about this story and I've shared it with some folks on who uh, have, are listening right now. And uh -huh. I think about this efficacy for minority professionals class that I took uh -huh. because I, I was being invested in as a high potential minority. I'll just say that. And I'm like, all right. So okay. one of the things that they taught us in this class that actually uh -huh. still is with me, but in a positive way cool. was it's not the stimulus. It's the response. Like here's like the zone of performance, sure. blah, blah, to yep. be a high performer. Yep. But it was more about if people come at you, stand down. No. You know, I think about exactly what you said. It's more about, it doesn't matter how people might be presenting themselves to you. Mm -hmm. They might mm -hmm. be having a bad day, whatever. Sure. It could be a horrible experience. But at the end of the day, your experience is how you choose to respond to it. 100%. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that is a lot about culture. I mean, you've already said this too. It's just like how we show up really mm -hmm. impacts the vibe that's happening. And so oh, it, um, it determines how we roll. My, totally. my friend, uh, Gary Ridge, who was CEO of WD-40 until his retirement within the last year, um, he loves to tell a story of being in a meeting. And if, and if you want to hear him tell a story, because he tells it with an Australian accent, oh. and it's more, much more effective. <laughs> you, you can go to workpositive.today and just go to our podcast page and you'll find Gary right there. But he tells this story about being in a meeting and this, this one particular fellow is just not himself that day. Let's just say that sure. his behavior, he's acting out and what have you. And everybody's kind of looking at each other, you know, like, what's, this, what's up with him? So after the meeting, Gary invites him uh, for a cup of coffee. So their head, I'm sure it was where you used to work. And so <laughs> they're, <laughs> headed, they're headed out into the parking lot and Gary 
Derek comes over to his car and he looks down under his car, the back. He, he looks under the hood. He opens the trunk lid and looks in the trunk. And the guy says, Gary, what the hell are you doing? And, and Gary looks at him and says, I'm looking for you. Because oh. the guy that was in that meeting, that's not the you I know oh. and love. Ouch. That amazing. But yeah. how different is that? And then they had a, a meaningful conversation over a cup of coffee about what had been going on in the guy's life and why it was a bad day. The fellow went back and apologized to his workmates and said, you know, I'm not at my best. Here's what's going on, which again was authentic and transparent and vulnerable, yeah. which of course released those into the air of that team. And it was, it was refreshing. Right. But instead of Gary going to the guy and saying, dude, you were horrible in there. Don't ever do that yeah. again. Rah, rah, rah. Yep. You see the freedom that comes from the human dynamic That's in right. that environment. That's a response as opposed to a reaction. That's right. It's a response. And it's also about um, keeping it real, right? I mean, you already said keeping this, it like, real. how do you right. keep it real? And it's like, I've been looking, you know, where were you in that meeting? You know, and the fact that he was able to give him feedback with empathy, mm. right? Like, here's how I experienced you. I use that a lot where they're like, or here's how others have experienced you. And it, people won't deny it. And they're like, well, I didn't realize that's what they experienced. Like, your intent Sometimes may have been different spot, from your right? impact, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I love that story um, with the CEO. But I love you enough, Marisa, to, and I tell people this all the time, be my friend. Yeah. Come to me and tell me. That's right. Show your flies open or, <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> right. Just, just be my friend and tell me because I, I do get, I do allow myself to get trapped into situations i do paint myself in a corner to use a yeah. common metaphor um and and i just need a somebody to reach in there and acknowledge hey i see your discomfort what can i do to help i love you enough right. to to acknowledge that to you and it's respect plus empathy equals that transformation i, I love right? it no i think it's that theme all the way throughout mm. um i know we only have a few minutes left i want to okay. get some high level themes with your upcoming book what okay. should everyone get excited about in your new 100 page book. Yeah, exactly. I think it comes in around 98. So okay. I'm pretty darn close to 100 there. Uh, the title is small hinges, swing, big doors. It releases September 19. It's a series. I'm convinced because I learned it when we were renovating the horse barn here. I thought, you know, with these amazing, big, huge doors into these stalls, I got to have amazing, big, huge hinges. And so I went to the hardware store and I said, okay, dude, here's what I need. Here's, you know, I'm sure I'm going to need a, you know, a, a huge hinge. He said, oh, not really. I've got this really strong hinge here. And, and he showed it to me and, and I looked at it and I was underwhelmed by the hinge. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, this, this is not going to work. I told you how much that door weighs and what have you. He said, yeah, but you told me the opening and how much it weighs. And he just looked at me and he said, Dr. Joey, small hinges swing big doors. Oh my goodness. And at that point, I, I that just stuck with me. And so again, we need B-haggers in the world, but for the rest of us, we can do one thing today to create a positive work culture right where we are. And that's the genesis of this book. What's a small hinge that I can do today? I love it. Swing big doors. So I take the five core practices in there. 
and each core practice has a set of small hinges. Um, it's short, easy things to read. You can read a little bit each day and uh, just go do that one thing that day. It also introduces you to the Small Hinges Swing Big Doors course, which also launches September okay. 19th. And I've got guys like uh, Dr. Bob Johansson that I mentioned earlier, Joe Sacchetti, who was an Army Ranger. I mean, how many Army Rangers do you know who would write a book called Guts, Smarts, and Love? Wow. I don't know too many Army Rangers who talk about love. Mitchell Levy, uh, Credibility yeah. Nation, is in the house. And so we talk about lots of great stuff with him. David Friedman, Culture by Design, yes. also a culture architect. Yes. He's got a module in there. And then my good friend, Jim Palmer, we talk about that final core practice, the ethical one, and it's serve first. Mm -hmm. And so there's 44 videos. I think there is in that Amazing. course. You get a copy of three of Bob's books and then the rest of us contribute a book. Uh, so you get a box of books from us. It's an amazing course because I'm convinced in order to achieve our goals, that you and I have talked about today. It takes each of us doing one thing yeah. day to create that positive work culture. So small hinges, swing big doors, look for it on Amazon on September 19, and then look for it on our website, September 19 at workpositive.today. I love that you're sharing all the information where people can find you. And I do love this thing with you, the dot doing one thing. Yeah. You know, I think what's been consistent throughout our conversation was empathy plus respect equals transformation. And if you were to just do one thing or encourage people who have been in on this conversation today to do one thing to get to that framework, what would it be? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Their one thing I would, if I had to pick from the five core practices, the perceive, conceive, believe, achieve, and receive, it all starts and stops in your head. Mm -hmm. Just become aware of, the negative inputs that you're exposing yourself to in the mornings, uh, the negative inputs of people around you, just choose one positive thought each day to focus yourself on and just live into and out of that, that day work out of it and, and watch the world begin to change around you. It's going to transform. Now, again, I understand it's a huge mountain. It's Kilimanjaro. It's Everest all combined into yeah. one, right? It's a moonshot. I get that. However, <laughs> you can one thing at a time. You can do one thing at a time today. There's lots of resources out there for you. I know you're working on a book. I've got the Small Hinges book coming out. There's a Work Positive Team Edition book. I've got a free um, a free course at workpositive.today called Something to Talk About that helps you transform your conversations. There's just a ton of stuff out there that you can do. Just do one thing today to create right. a positive work culture. I love it. And it's it's really choose one positive thought and live into it and work into it. What sage advice to get started? We are at the top of the hour. And I know that people have already reached out to you and, and vice versa. Can people also link up with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. We're, we're there, right? Right on. And by the way, I got to give a plug for you. You're on the Work Positive Podcast. And I, I think I looked it up and it's in two weeks. Oh, okay, two. great. Yeah, your episode comes out. Uh, the Marisa Andrada. I love it. Of the Work Positive Podcast. So I'm More excited. More goodness. Yes. As, as you I'm... people already know and you love Marisa, there's a ton of great content there. So be sure to check it out wherever fine podcasts are heard. 
Oh my goodness. You, you are still living in that radio voice, which I love. And I am speaking of love. I have mad love for you, Dr. Oh, Joey. I do for you, sweetheart. Yes. Many, Thank many you. thanks for spending this time. It has been an hour of joy for me. Mm, I know for everybody too. else and like empathy and respect and transformation and action just being yeah. here with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm and better for this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And to everybody, I appreciate all of you as well. Um, I've got some crazy travel coming up in the next couple of weeks. So the next actual culture cast will be live from Nashville Woo. with Cassidy Pope um, on September 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific. So hopefully we'll see y'all then. And like until the then, everybody, if right, if Nashville, I'm living into that Nashville, yeah. you know, Southern living. So that's right. Um, the plural of y'all is all y'all, by the way, just in case you're all y'all, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Joey, and thank you, everybody, for your time. We'll see y'all later. Take care. Bye. Love you. Love you.